what's happening guys and welcome back to another episode of Health in the Hustle podcast with your host, online fitness coach Kyle Young and 95er David Sala. Wow, what a response to last week's episode. Absolutely amazing. We had a, a podcast all around investing, finances with Chris Douglas, our wealth manager. Um, and so far we've had amazing feedback and even better, some amazing amounts of lessons as well. But today we are bringing it back to everything to do with health. So today we are joined by a very special guest, head coach at the Nike running app in LA, Blue Benedum. But without further ado, Blue, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us all the way from LA. Thank you guys for having me. It's good to be here. Blue, I need to need to address something very quickly. So in in Scotland in general, when we're out running, we obviously have a few different things in our way, cars, people. But when I looked at your Instagram the other day, you had uh, snakes that you had to avoid when you were out running. <laughs> yeah, and not just any snake, rattlesnakes, man. Those are, they're pretty intense. <laughs> no, Blue, um, tell us a bit about how you get into running in general and tell us a bit about your kind of background working with Nike um, and that, that collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in Colorado, up in the high mountains in the Rocky Mountains. Um, and so we were always exploring the mountains as kids. And so we were always running around, you know, so it was just a very athletic, I guess, lifestyle. Um, but I didn't really think about running as a sport until, or even as a fitness activity, until I was reading Bob Marley's biography when I was a teenager. I, I had a reggae band, actually, and so I was a singer in a reggae band. If you can imagine me, me with dreadlocks, that was me back in the day. <laughs> So, yeah, not, not your typical intro to the sport, you know. But anyway, I was reading his biography, and I read this part that they did these disciplines in the stamina, where they'd run 18-mile runs around Kingston, Jamaica. And there's something about that that really inspired me. I was like, wow, this, like, musician is doing these 18-mile runs. Like, that's, you know, 30K run, and you're like, you're a musician. That's crazy. I should probably start doing something. So I started running, and I think, like, that started the lifelong relationship that it's been for me. You know, and it's, if I look back now, because I just turned 40 years old, and I mean, I was 16 then, right? So it's been, it's been many years of, of, of the health and the fitness aspect of running, and it's been so many things to me over those years, you know? Like it's, but it's always been there, right? So I think the accessibility part is, is probably why I've continued to do it, and then it's so cool to see how far you can take it. I mean, I actually, I, I was talked into running my first marathon when I was 26 years old, um, I've now run about 65, 66 marathons. I can't, there's, there's one in there that I, I don't really count. Um, but, uh, somewhere along the way, I really got into the performance aspect of it. And I was able to go from sort of an everyday runner, um, to the elite level. And I was invited in 2015 to the Boston marathon as, as an elite. And it was not something that I ever really thought that I would do, you know, like that was not my intention when I set out running. It's just sort of like, as I started to control different variables, I started, you know, getting faster and faster times. And, you know, that becomes sort of an obsession for a lot of us, right? So um, that's sort of what happened. And along that journey, I was really inspired by some of the people, some of the coaches that, that gave me some of the secrets of the trade, right? Um, and so that led me down the coaching path. And now I've been really lucky to give back. Um, I've been coaching about 10 years now um, and for Nike, seven years. And I have, you know, I've coached everyone from Kevin Hart in his first marathon to somebody that just started oh. running. It's a really cool range of, of talents and personas and just it's, it's, it's a really rich uh, atmosphere, right? So, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. 
Amazing. Do you know, the funniest thing at the moment, we actually just spoke about this before we came onto the podcast, and it was all around, in the UK at the moment, obviously a very, very difficult time. With everyone being in lockdown at the moment, a lot of people have taken up running. But I don't think people have the knowledge as such to maybe take their, their running experience to the next level. And this is why we got you on today to talk us through, obviously, how to improve your running, um, whether that be your nutrition, whether that be your time, and whether that might be just the enjoyment of it all. Um, David, I know you've been, you've been doing a bit of running since, you, uh, since lockdown started in general. Do you know what I, I say to you that I'd started doing a bit of running? But oh, you've lied. There was a couple of white lies on there. No, my intention was to to try and take up some running again, but I don't know what it is. I just struggle getting into it, and I don't know if it's because actually a couple of years ago I got into running, but I think the the first few weeks I tend to hate it, and I think that's probably because of my time. Like, as you were saying a minute ago, Blue, and it becomes a thing in your head, like, I need to beat my time, I need to beat my time. Um, but I think it take, just takes me a while. So see, the fact that I'm only maybe doing it once a week or once every two weeks at the moment, that's that's not good enough because my time isn't improving that much. Whereas a couple of years ago, I was going maybe the Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Do you know what I mean? Like, at minimum three yeah. times a week. And consistency improving like rapidly and that's when I started to enjoy it but um something obviously we're, we're actually wanting to to delve into a wee bit probably later on the podcast as well the reason I stopped running again was due to weight training and I think that's quite a common question that people have should you be weight training when you're running so yeah um as I say I've told you a couple of lies Kyle to be fair about me running oh, but uh, <laughs> Um, I'd love to hear Blue's take on the, the whole weight training side of things. Definitely. Do you know, the, the biggest thing for me, motivation-wise, and you've kind of alluded to it there, was the if you continue to beat your times, you do obviously feel more motivated to run. And I actually shared this on my Instagram the other day. So at the start of lockdown, say roughly nine weeks ago when we were recording this, um, I ran a 27-minute, five-kilometer run. So in, the, in general, that's particularly slow. Uh, I know that you'll probably be looking at that saying that's pretty slow. And then the other day, which was last week, um, I, I ran a 19.30 5K, which for me was actually something that I was really proud of. Um, and the same with my 10 kilometers. I started off at like 57 minutes, and then I got down to 46 minutes uh, last week as well. So that motivation aspect for me was huge. And then the fact that I knew that I was continuing to develop and gain more confidence was just huge. What was your time period there, Kyle? Was it eight weeks? Eight weeks, yeah. And it, it's I just consistency. Improvement. Would, it, would you say that's quite quick, Blue? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because listening to you guys, there's, uh, it's, it takes me back to my own, you know, my own training. You know, I've, I've been where, you've, where you are with the strength training and not wanting to, or not finding that motivation. And then also the consistency aspect. And I think that that the progress that you get from just being consistent is very real. And then when you watch your pace improve as you're training, whether it's four, eight weeks, two years, five years, that's a very fun process, right? Um, of course, there's peaks and valleys along the greater progression as you go, but it's a slippery slope. And this is why, because as you start to get faster, even from one week to the next, what do you want to do? you want to run faster. So every time you go out to run, you sort of have this in your head. Okay, I can, go, I can do it a little faster this time. And that's, that's awesome. 
but eventually that's going to come to a head. And what ends up happening with most runners or athletes is they get to this place where they're running too hard too often. And what ends up happening is you're spending too much time in the anaerobic state. And when you're anaerobic, you're not getting as much oxygen. It's great for cardiovascular health, but your aerobic fitness is really where the magic lies in running. And so this is also relevant to the strength training aspect and the, the consistency part. So the more time you can spend running easy, and especially when you're first getting into it, don't worry about the pace. And this took me years to realize. I mean, even this past couple of years, I've realized that, that my typical daily run was about 16K. And if I wasn't running 350 or better per K, every single run, that, that wasn't good enough. Nowadays, I could go out 435 minutes per K. And I know that the purpose of that run is just regeneration. So it's a, I'm rebuilding my body and I'm, I'm staying aerobic. So on my hard workout days, on my fast runs, I have something to give. And so I think there's something psychological about that too, where if I go out and there's no expectation on pace, I mean, I, I'm at 7,000 feet elevation here in, in Colorado and I went out for, you know, a 16 K run yesterday and I was just, it was so nice to just say, forget the pace. Don't even look at your watch. Just make it easy and make sure you're breathing nice and easy. And that, that mental state is such an important component for the longevity and just for, to get you out the door. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I mean, getting out the door is one of the most important aspects, right? And for you right now, that's kind of one of the, maybe the barriers to entry. Massively. It just sucks to go, right? So just making it easy is one thing. And then you can start to build that consistency we're talking about, you know, because it's going to feel more easy. And then as you develop that consistency, if you're doing three days a week, maybe it turns into five days a week and you're going out for whatever 5K to 10K now, maybe you're doing that, you know, four or five times a week, it's going to start to feel easier, right? So. Yeah. You're, you're so right because in my head that's probably one of the biggest barriers as well was me looking at that door and thinking I really don't want to go out and run slow it's not it's not actually going out and running running as you say when when you have a good time or you beat a time you're like oh that was great you feel really good after it but see if I start a run and then within five minutes I'll know oh no like I can't believe I've dedicated to doing like a five or ten k here like yeah. how can we do this and immediately I've just lost so I think this is a great point you brought up especially for our listeners who are probably beginners in terms of starting to run just now or maybe looking to get back into it and it is that as you're saying you probably shouldn't focus on trying to beat your time every time yeah I mean I, I don't I wouldn't want to take the fun out of it for somebody right so you know if, if that's the motivator and you want to see improvement that I think that's awesome and if you want to improve your if you want to improve your time from week to week, that's great. Right. But I think at a certain point you should expect to be a little bit burnt out by that process. And, and everything that we do is in cycles. So if you want to do that and improve on your pace every, you know, I would say the, the biggest problem is that trying to do that every day. That's the problem. You want to give yourself two days a week where you allow yourself to really push the pace, but all the other days, whether they're runs or whatever they are, you know, other workouts, cross training, you just want to make sure you're getting enough easy training in. And that's that aerobic capacity, that is sort of the sweet spot. If you think about Elliot Kipchoge, who just broke two hours in the marathon, I mean, he, insane how fast he was able to run in the marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, the crazier thing than the pace is that he was actually aerobic when he was running it. And so if you watch that race or that, that run, he runs through the finish line and then he runs up to his, his, his coach first gives him a hug, hugs his wife, grabs the Kenyan flag, runs back out, and is giving people high fives because he still has energy. You know, and he's, he, the reason he has energy is because he didn't deplete his glycogen stores. 
And when you're running anaerobically too often, you're, you're depleting your adrenal system. So your feel-good hormones, your adrenaline, your serotonin, that's depleted. So you don't even want to get out of bed in the morning, right? Um, but, but even just from a fitness perspective, I mean, people think that to run fast, you've just got to always push hard. But that's incorrect, and it's, pro it's proven perfectly by Kipchoge running how fast he was running, you know, for 26 miles, 42K. So. I actually watched that video last night, Blue. It was incredible because I was actually going to bring that up. And, do you know, for someone who's obviously quite new to it, you running it was never something that was a massive passion of mine, but recently it's developed uh, a lot more. But from your experience, is that is that totally unheard of? Of course, it's a unofficial world record, but did you think it would ever happen? I don't think it would. I never thought it would happen, you know, because there's a lot of discussion about, it was sort of like this, the four minute mile barrier was a big thing for a long time. And then somebody, Roger Bannister broke it and then, and then a bunch of people broke it and then it became the standard. And people talked about the two hour marathon as being that new thing because there's so many people after um, Gabriel Selassie had the, the first sub 204, that sort of like, it opened the door in the minds of people like, well, how fast can we get, you know? And there was just a lot of, a lot of experts who were saying, we've got 40 to 70 years before that could even possibly happen. Physiologically, it's just not going to be possible. And then Kipchoge is interesting because when he talks about it, he talks about the power of the mind and the power of belief, you know, and he, he through his own training, and, and we're talking about a world-class marathoner, not a world-class marathoner, a world-class runner from a very young age. At 18 years old, I think it was the world championships. He beat both Bekele and um, El Garouche, two, two, the world's two top runners in the time, on the track. And, it, I mean, he, here's a kid beating the best in the world. So he's, he's not new to the sport. He's been doing this for a long time, for decades developing his talent. So he very much knew what he could do, but he didn't know that he could do that. So he Am just, I not Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Am I not right in saying that he used to run? Because I said, I said, read this last night. Um, he used to run two miles to school every single day, and to put that into perspective, like that every single day, five days a week, just is ridiculous. So running four miles a day, and probably, obviously, that's his commute. But that just must build so much, it like I mean, so much confidence in him that he knows he can run that pretty easily if he's doing it every day. And then look where he is now. It's absolutely mental. But the biggest thing for me um, with running at the moment is the, the support network. And that leads us on perfectly to talk about the Nike running app. Because for me, that was the first thing that I actually got into. And I've been logging all my, my runs. I've been joining all the challenges. I've been seeing what my friends are doing. Um, so tell us a bit about the app and, and how it's obviously helped the users that, that are using it um, kind of developing their own running habits. Yeah. The Nike running app's awesome for a lot of reasons. I think, I mean, to start from the beginning would be to talk about the idea of capturing data, you know, and I think something that I always did, even when I was just sort of getting into the sport, I got a GPS watch and I was sort of obsessed with like, Oh wow. How many K's and like what pace and what's my route? Like I was really into that data. Um, even though no one cared, you know, it, it meant nothing really. And I knew nothing about training. So like, why would I care? It was just something that it was my accountability piece to myself, you know, and I think that's the power of that tool. And so with the Nike running app, they've developed a really amazing atmosphere where, <clears throat> excuse me. So in the Nike running app, you basically have, you've got your routes, you've got like all of your data is there, but there's also a social component. And I think the most exciting thing for us right now is the development of the audio guided runs. So you can now plug into the app and turn on your watch, put your headphones in 
and I will literally take you through an entire run, speed workout, a long run, easy run, and it's overlaid over your own playlist. So your favorite songs, your, your favorite motivating music is on in the background. And then when there's something relevant to discuss, whether it's an inspiration piece or it's something specific about the workout, our voices come in and we're like, all right, you guys ready to go? Here we go. We're going to count you down in three, two, one, and go. And so you literally have a coach in your ear. And that's, I mean, that's an exciting thing. And we've seen so much. I mean, it's, it's just inspiring to see how many people have been motivated to get out the door from this. So, yeah. No, an amazing concept, especially for, for the, the people that are quite new to it. I know for a fact that, uh, I know we've just actually spoken about it there all around, oh, do you know what, we want to try and beat our time. That was the biggest, biggest motivator for me, being able to identify where I was. And a big thing that I talk about to my clients is progressive overload and being able to understand that you obviously want to always continue, continually better yourself whether that be resistance lifting more or running, trying to beat your times and stuff like that. But, you know, the Nike running app has been an absolute game changer for me specifically. I know it's, uh, it's supported me in my runs, et cetera, throughout this time. But um, tell us a wee bit more, a bit more how you actually get involved with Nike. So I was um, actually, and I was coaching marathons and I actually coached for middle school and high school cross country and track and field. And I had a friend who was, he was basically putting on a lot of events for Nike and they needed an, an expert coach, if you will. Um, so I was already doing that a lot, you know, and they, they brought me in as, as an expert in the field. And I took, I think it was about 15 women to run their first half marathon in Washington, DC for the Nike women's half marathon. And it was an amazing journey. I mean, we, we, we gave these women tools that they had never seen before from, from the, the devices and the, you know, the technology to the inspiration and to all of these different things that they had never seen. Um, of course, to the gear and the shoes, right? Um, so yeah, it was an amazing experience, and that led to more and more opportunities within the company. So yeah, it's um, it's it's been amazing what's happened since then. Lou, Lou, you just mentioned something there, um, and it was about the shoes. Now, this is something I've wanted to ask for ages. A couple of things around them, actually. One, how much of a difference does it actually make? And two, someone was telling me that. The new ones that were brought out, is it Flyknit or Zoom? I can't, I can't remember what the, the name of them was. Yeah. Since people yeah. had put them on, is that when athletes were breaking records as such? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is interesting. to, to, to talk, And this has been, the technology of shoe design has been a big thing for, for decades. You know, people are, and the different companies are trying to like one-up each other. Now, how do I put a carbon fiber plate in the shoe that gives more energy return? You know, it's going to make a runner faster. But then along with that, how can we find a, a, a cushioning, a foam that can also have energy return and sort of take down some of the impact of, of the forces that we see in, you know, over the course of the longer runs. Um, Nike in the past few years with the, with the 4%, the next percent, the alpha fly, they just changed the game. I mean, they, they, it's, and it's not crazy. I mean, it, it's still just a carbon fiber plate, which basically like as you bend that plate, it returns energy as so it's you know it's 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 just it's recoil is all it is um but they have a very high expensive high quality expensive carbon fiber so it's a higher amount of energy coming back to the through the through the step um but along with that is their crazy foam it's just super cushiony but it's really responsive and the two put together have kind of just changed the game with with distance running it's crazy to see yeah 
Yeah, especially like with the price tag on them. So that leads that leads me on to my next question, right? And a lot of our listeners um, won't be running competitively, I should say. Now, would you say it's still a worthwhile investment getting yourself a nice pair of Nike? Um, what did you call them there? Fly. The, the fly is the newest one, but the, the next percent is kind of the is the racing shoe. That's you know. Yeah. That's cool. the, so yeah, so what my question I suppose is, would you recommend buying them only if you're competing, or would you say it's all it's still worthwhile investing in a decent pair of Nike trainers? Like I that? Would, yeah, that's a great question. I I would say that the reason that you would have that tool in your toolbox is anytime you're going to look at at running from the performance perspective. I don't care what your pace is, but if you have days where you want to go out there and run a five five k time trial or run a 5k race or do a marathon, anything in there. And, and you're, and you really care about doing your best. You're going to feel a difference from an everyday trainer to something like the 4% or the next percent or the alpha fly. The reason is, is because they're lighter. They are more responsive. They're, they're like the race car, you know? So it's like, if you want to get on the racetrack, you want to get in the race car, you know? And, and, and that really is the difference. And you're going to feel the difference at whatever your pace is. And so, I mean, I coach athletes of all abilities, and it's absolutely um, a benefit to everyone. So. Yeah, you would. So even your kind of everyday Joe blogs would notice the difference. Me, for example, absolutely. if I would, tried yes, on the wrong pair of trainers, went out for a run, and then the next day or a couple of days later wore the new ones. You'd, you'd need to go out a run for that to actually work, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm, going, I'm going out a run this weekend, and my motivation is to beat Kyle's time. <laughs> do you know what it comes to, the way I look at it is I suppose it's setting, setting yourself up for success so if you're going to go and play golf then you'd put a pair of golf shoes on if you're going to go and play basketball 9 out of 10 times you'd put a, put a pair of basketball shoes on so I don't know because I'm not an expert in this and Blue will be able to tell us but I think I use a pair of like, fly nets I think from the last couple of years and I don't even know if I'd classify them as like actual running shoes as such, but I would also always look at them as like quite a lightweight shoe for for sport. So I don't know if I'm in, in the right ballpark, uh, the ballpark there, but I suppose it comes down to setting yourself up for success. Yeah, are you talking about the Flyknit Racer? Flyknit Racer, that's exactly what I use. So that shoe is the shoe that when I started with Nike, they had just come out with that shoe. And I actually won the Tahoe Triple Marathon, which runs around Lake Tahoe and in, in, on the border of California, Nevada. It's a high elevation triple marathon over three days. And the year before, I had won this race, and I came back to to run it again, and and to defend my record. And that shoe came out. <clears throat> I didn't have a blister. I didn't have a hot spot. I was because they they don't look like a you know they're really light. They're super minimal, and so you wouldn't expect that to be like a seventy eight mile shoe, you know. Anyway, like I ran in that shoe. I think I ran about eight marathons, all sub 2.30 in that shoe. That was my favorite shoe. And it's like a lifestyle shoe. You could put that on with a pair of jeans and go out at night, you know? <laughs> Do you know, during lockdown at the moment, Blue, in the UK, everyone is wearing their gym clothes. <laughs> everyone all the time. So you're absolutely right. Finding the balance between like a, a shoe that you can go out running and a shoe that you can just kind of go out and about if you go out a walk or whatever is absolutely incredible so uh, yeah I, I absolutely love that conversation about shoes but the, the biggest takeaway from that is investing in the right equipment is always going to help you in the long run and ju- just with regards to like um not even not even just like the the quality of the shoe but the impact it would have on joints i can imagine that would be quite a a big thing as well 
Yeah, but I think I'm so glad you brought this up because, and you brought up the other sports. Like if you're going to go play golf or basketball, you're going to get the right, the right gear for it. And I think that that's what this is about. But bigger than that, if you're going to go play basketball, if you're going to go play golf or tennis, you're going to go take a tennis lesson and you're going to look at it as a skill. And I think the biggest problem in the, that I have with running and runners and people that are getting into the sport is they go out there, they throw themselves down the road because we all intuitively know how to run. But that's the same as saying we all know how to play tennis and we all know, all know how to play golf. You're going to be pretty hack out on the golf course if you've never had a lesson. And when it comes to running, you've got to look at it as a skill. And I'm speaking to my old self here because I had run 35 marathons before I ever even thought of this. But I, I, I met a coach and he reworked my biomechanics. And I can tell you, I could not run faster than 242. I tried. I mean, there might, I think I ran 242 in the marathon about a dozen times. And anywhere in the 240s, another dozen times on top of that. And I could not, for, the, for my obsession with progress, I could not break it. I met this coach. He reworked my mechanics. And I swear it was linear after that. It was like 238, 235, 228, 224, 223. It was just, you know, and, and it's amazing because I've done about 1,000 video analysis and, and makeovers on people's mechanics. And it's hands down my favorite thing that I do in coaching because the before and after and an hour of working with somebody to see how they move before and with a little bit of information, how they can move. It's just inspirational and the way you feel and specifically to your question, the joints and how you feel and how, what you're doing to your body running doesn't have to give you runner's knees. It doesn't have to hurt your joints. If you look at Kipchoge, he's, he was running to school when he's a little kid and now he's running. What are they running per week? 200 K per week. I mean, it's insane much they're running and they're doing it their whole lives and they don't have joint pain right so it's because of how the body is that that communication with the body and the ground and to really move over the ground without an opposition of force and that can be taught and it can be taught to anyone and i know because that's what i do and and i think it's it's uh if if you could just for your listeners and and, and all of, for all of you guys like approach the sport of running as a skill right and work on the skill not just the fitness side of it so for anyone that's listening to this and they run like Phoebe from Friends, then you definitely need to improve the way that you run before you actually start running decent times. That's the biggest takeaway I'm taking away from that. But no, do you know what? One of the biggest questions I have for you, Blue, is around, so I'm in a position where I'm deciding I'm going to go a run and I want to, I want to try and beat my PB, for example. Is there a, a pre-workout nutrition kind of structure that you'd stick to for, let's just say, a, a five kilometer, for example? And is there a, a pre-workout stretch routine that you would obviously recommend? Because I have seen a couple of bits of contrary information. I do ask that um, because I've seen a bit of contrary information around stretching beforehand and the kind of impacts it has. But I'd love to hear your insight on this. Yeah, so I'll tackle the, the nutrition component first. I think the the best thing that that we can do, and, and I'm when I'm looking at this information, I think you always have to look at the world's best. Like, what are the best in the sport doing, and how, and why is that working? You know, and I, you have a lot of pseudo experts in the world. You know, and we're and we're all trying to figure out what's what's best. Um, but but looking at the elite athletes of the world. And, and I've, been, I've been doing this for about 10 years. Running on a fasted system is the best way to teach your body how to tap into its own fat stores and to, and to not burn out too much glycogen too soon. And so we, and, and another reason is when you have, it, 
anytime you're digesting anything, the blood goes to the intestines, right? And so if I'm expecting my muscles to have, have optimization and all the blood in the working muscles, I can't expect to have the blood also going to the intestines and it's going to default to the digestive system, right? So anytime that the body's got to survive first and then it can work out and then it can, you know, it can activate everything else. So um, by not putting anything into the system, you're also allowing that blood flow to the muscles to be optimized. So that's one. Um, if, if you wake up in the morning and you're really feeling sort of lightheaded and, and you, you already have a low blood sugar, to have something very simple, like we use a product called Morton. They're out of Sweden. Um, they basically found a way to encapsulate carbohydrate calories in a gelatin form. So it bypasses the stomach and is therefore absorbed into the intestines and it doesn't pull in the stomach. So you don't get that GI distress that you see with just dumping carbohydrates into the stomach. Um, so that's great. But something like that, where you have like one or 200 calories um, or about 90 grams worth of, of carbohydrate in the morning, that's fine because that's not going to require a lot from the digestive system. And it's going to help bring back your, your, um, your blood sugar levels to a normal level. So that would be the, the most something that I would have before I'd go for a workout. And I'm talking, this could be for a 35K run, right? I mean, this is, it doesn't, it's not just like going out for, for a, a regular 5 or 10K. This is all the way up to like your long runs. Now, on long runs, to get the most out of our body from a performance perspective, we might also take in some of that Morton or some, some sort of a um, carbohydrate during the run itself. You know, and that's just, that's just a, a matter of performance optimization and keeping the, the blood um, glycogen levels at a normal level. Um, that's getting a little bit more technical, you know, and that's different for everybody. But the human body can typically upload about 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Any more than that, they found just sort of doesn't have any effect. So, so that's kind of another thing that Morton does is they've their product, like they found their scientists found that number, and so their product has that amount. So that you're you're optimizing the upload per hour. So you're not going above or below what that is. Um, but yeah, the the easy way to think about it is just like don't eat anything before you run. I usually have a coffee before I go out the door, and you know, go out, good to go. And then afterwards, obviously, getting all of that back in. So like my breakfast is carbohydrates, fat, protein, it's all the macronutrients. <clears throat> so that's what, what about later in the day, Blue? See, so say someone was going to their work and stuff and they're having their, their full day later on in the day, what would you recommend for, to approach that? Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, we all, we all have different times of day that we work out, you know, and for this, the person that's working out in the afternoon or the evening, it's a different scenario because you've had, you've been awake for so long that you're, you've been bleeding out glycogen and burning fat all day. And especially if you're at work and your, your mind is working, you're using a lot of glycogen. You know, your, your brain uses glycogen for fuel. So you want to make sure that you have enough glycogen in your system, but you also, don't, you also want your intestines to be empty. So I would say three to four hours before you're going to do your run, make sure you eat a good meal. And that I would say just tapping into all the macronutrients. But anything like anything fat and protein heavy before a run is going to take longer to digest, right? So I would err on the side of, of higher carbohydrate for the meal before you do your workout. But make sure it's three to four hours. Having a quick snack before a run, like an hour before a run is fine. But if full meal, you want to give yourself three to four hours before you're actually out hitting the run. You can get away with it, right? And, and you look at ultra marathoners. I mean, they're literally eating meals as they're running, but they're out there for you know a day or two. So that's a different scenario entirely. Wow. Do you know what? I think everything you've said there, our listeners can definitely take away a lot from that. One thing you said there, you mentioned the ultra marathon runners actually having to eat um, during that. Have you ever run a, an ultra marathon? I've done some some ultra distance relay type of stuff, like the Lake Tahoe triples. You know, it's 
it's a marathon every day for three days, but it's not all together. I've done a 50K. That's, yeah, that's kind of scratching at the door of ultras. Technically, it's an ultra, but I mean, essentially, it's a lot like a marathon. Um, and then the Speed Project is a race that I actually helped found. Um, and we're actually going to our sixth year this year, which this year is actually going to be done virtually. And typically, it runs from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. So it's like over 550K of running with six people, right? So wow. it's, it's a lot of running. there's no rules so you can run as long of legs as you want before the next person gets out the door and over the years of this race what they found is the faster times end up happening when the athletes have much shorter intervals and there was a french team a couple years ago that was running 90 second intervals for two days straight like literally running 90 seconds jumping on a bike and the other guy would run 90 seconds and then they'd switch and they do that four or five times they jump in an rv and another two would pop out and it was just People looked at it and were like, these guys are sprinting for 90 seconds. You can't do that for two days. And they did it. And they set a new course record. And they just sort of opened up the way people look at, at what that race was. Um, but in that race, because it's so long, you do also have to eat. So I think it's, it's, it is ultra distance. It's different in the aspect that you're, you're starting and stopping. But the reality is, is that if you're going to do anything for over a day, you've got to have a full nutrition. You can't just eat carbohydrate calories anymore. So, I think I think I'll go from a five k to a ten k, and then I'll probably ease myself up to that. I think I'm a wee, <laughs> bit, far, a wee bit far away from that at the moment. But yeah, yeah. just touching on touching on that um, stretching element. Uh, yes. So we're just getting back to the the pre. So we've obviously spoken about the equipment. So you're, you've already got the the night running shoes all sorted. You've um, potentially, if you're doing it in the morning, fasted beforehand. And now we're getting to the stage, maybe just before uh, you're about to start running. What is yeah. the kind of routine there? Over the years, I've I have extended more and more the time I spend warming up my body. <clears throat> this is very important because you want to you want to be warm for, for any workout. Right. And I mean, you do this in strength training, you do this in, in other sports, but in running, a lot of times we just go out the door and run. Um, I think it's the most important if you're doing some sort of a speed workout or something with performance, if you really care about your pace, you've got to warm the body up before you expect that from your body. Right. So, but I actually use running to warm the body up for running. And so I think this is the part that's, that's, maybe like misunderstood you've got to you've got to get the blood flowing to the working muscles first and if you just go stretch or if you just go do dynamic stretching you're not going to get the same type of blood flow to the right muscles as you will by just starting with running so here's the best way that i have it figured out right now go out and just do an easy jog for anything from a couple k to up to an hour i literally will warm up for an hour sometimes if it's a hard enough workout and I know it sounds crazy, but it's amazing where you get to, you know, when you've, you've been doing this for years. The point is, is that you just get the body moving, okay? But there's no expectation. After that is when the stretching comes in. And along with the stretching, I, I put in activations. So the, the idea is that we're trying to activate the muscle that we're going to need to be our best in the activity that we're about to do. This is true in Olympic weightlifting. This is true in, like we talked about basketball and golf. It's true in everything. The muscles have got to fire in the right ways to, to, to do the job we need them to do. And so with the stretching, the dynamic stretching and the activations, that's when we, we start to do that. Um, traditional drills like high knees, butt kicks, karaoke, A, um, A skips, B skips, high knee bounding, all of these things basically almost exaggerate the ranges of motion that we see when we run. Um, 
static stretching is pretty much the worst thing that you can do before you do anything explosive. So running is explosive. I don't care if you're, if you're not running that fast, it doesn't matter. You're still having to explode that leg into the ground and create power and force. That's what creates velocity through space. It's got to be running is not walking. Walking slow, running should be fast, at least faster. Um, so we need to prepare the body for that. And static stretching doesn't do that. Dynamic stretching, stretching through ranges of motion is what begins that process. So nice, easy jog into dynamic stretching. And then the activation component is simply a matter of like, for example, leaning forward and lifting one leg behind you, you know, just lifting a leg continuously will activate that glute muscle. That glute muscle is what we need to fire at the right time in the running stride to get the most power. So there's a whole sequence of activations that I would go through after the dynamic stretching. And then that leads you into a couple strides. Strides are really short, almost sprints, but not quite as fast. Really short, explosive runs of about 50, 50 to 100 meters. Do three or four of those, and then you're really ready. Your heart rate's elevated. You're ready for anything you're about to do. So do I do this on an easy day, like easy run? Absolutely not. But if I'm going to do anything where I'm going to do a 5K time trial, if I'm going to do a, you know, a tempo run, I'm going to do some intervals, I'm absolutely going to take a good – this whole process will be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. Love that. And, and obviously that's slightly different for depending on what level you're at. But I think the whole process of getting your body uh, ready for it, whether you're doing a hit workout and you warm up for five minutes beforehand, whether you're playing a game of golf and you just warm up with some light swings and some stretches and stuff like that. I loved exactly what you said there around um, dynamic versus static stretching. I've never really been one for like a static stretch. I've never really found it beneficial. Um, whereas like maybe warming up for any sort of workout, um, that kind of dynamic stretch certainly works out so much more for me. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's so interesting. I, I've I've never really thought about it in like a, a big as big a capacity as that. And I'm putting my hands up right now. I've never really prepared myself enough for for runs. And that's something I'm definitely going to take away and maybe um, try and try and even just get a little bit of running in before I actually try and go for a time as such. Well, one thing I wanted to actually ask you, Blue, as well, was what's your take on treadmill running? Because I think that's something that people always yes. have an opinion on. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I mean, I used to be a trainer in a gym for a while and I, that was probably the most treadmill running I'd ever really done or traveling, you know, in hotels, different places, you know, and you can't get out for a run or the bad weather. Um, but I recently bought a treadmill because I have two boys, two sons, and me and my wife both run. And some days it is just hard to get out the door. So with a treadmill, you can go for a run and the kids are asleep and you don't have to leave the house. So we bought it as sort of a tool for that. And the whole COVID pandemic ends yeah. up being perfect. Now we have the opportunity to, to run without going anywhere. Um, I think my stance on it is it is a great tool. Um, it, going back to one of our earlier conversations, I think it, keeping it so it feels easy is probably the, the best thing you can do on the treadmill. Because treadmill, you feel every step. You know, you're literally like, you're just with yourself. And it's, unless you're watching, a, you know, something on a TV screen or something like that, um, you're, you're with yourself and you can't get away from it. There's no pretty views to look at. You know, there's, it's, it's very internal. So I think making it feel easy is a good way to like, just sort of like, you know, get yourself into it, you know, and, and, and allow yourself to be able to use it as a tool. Otherwise, it's just too daunting. Do you know what this is? Oh, I have to laugh at this because 
I don't know if this is an ego thing, and David might be able to back me up here. I know whether whether it be in the gym or being out a run or something. But see if I'm outdoors and I'm running, running, um, I don't know any sort of distance, and I come across maybe a family because in in the UK at the moment, and I'm sure it's the same anywhere in America. But because of lockdown, when you're going out for your exercise, like it's probably a bit busier than usual because a lot of people have a bit more time in their hands. But obviously social distancing still in and it means that you can't run in the pavement you're kind of running a bit in the road and stuff like that but see if I see someone and I'm running past them I am very very aware of how I look when I run and I really want to make sure that I look really good I'm going at a decent pace and that motivates me to run that wee bit faster I can tell you right now see if I'm looking in the mirror at myself running like Phoebe from Friends I, that does not motivate me and I cannot run any faster when I look at myself and I thought do you know what going outside for a run is the be- the best thing for me um, and just for, for treadmills in, in their entirety just do not motivate me yeah I'm with you man <clears throat> I hate treadmills like and I've said for years I hate treadmills so for me and it's been six months since I've owned a treadmill and it's it's a new thing and I, I don't use it that often there are moments so that it's allowed me to get either a second run in for the day or just get, get a, get a run in when I wasn't, wouldn't have been able to get one in otherwise. So for that, and I have a training partner who does every single day, he runs twice a day. And one day, one of the runs is on the treadmill and I, it has blown my mind for years. I'm like, how do you do that? That sounds horrible, but you know, I'm, I'm coming around a little bit. I can at least, I can do it at least now. So. Yeah. Interesting. I was just going to say there, Kyle, so Blue, you're saying your training partner, like if they're doing a second run for the day, and that's obviously the same as you, you'll, you'll do two runs a day. What is the purpose of that second run? Is that for training? Is that for relaxation, take your mind away kind of thing? It's all training for sure. Um, because the reality is there's, I don't want to get out the door for a second run if I'm doing doubles. You know, It's not something that I want to yeah. do for fun. I've already had a run. It's like I've, I've checked that box you know, yeah. for my own I find a way to enjoy it in, in the way that it's, it's a really fun process getting fit. Um, and what, it, what it's giving you is, is a greater aerobic capacity. And so it's extending the volume that you can do in a week. And it's also improving the speed at which your body recovers from the last hard effort. So if I did a hard workout on a Tuesday morning and then I didn't run again until Wednesday, my body's been in sort of a recovery mode with a limited blood flow until that next run. If I do a recovery run later on Tuesday evening, I've sort, of, I've sort of ramped up that process and I've gotten that blood flow and that recovery process sped up. So, and then if I look at from Tuesday to Friday, let's say is my next hard workout from running. If I, if I get three or four runs in there as compared to one or two, those three or four runs are all very easy runs. So I'm sort of steeping my body in this oxygenated state because aerobic is oxygen. So all of that activity that I did in that aerobic state it's just that's what develops that aerobic capacity. And that's what makes you more efficient. And that's what helps your, your, your ability to burn fat for fuel at any pace. So, yeah, it's all a fitness thing. And see, you've obviously spoken about doing like two runs in a day. One of the questions that one of my clients actually asked was, is there a limit on how many runs you should be doing per week? Because something that, that I kind of semi-answered that in my head. And the, the way that I always look at things is um, – you have to listen to your body and, and that, that's something that you obviously fuel, fuel your body with the right nutrients um, and then like post-workout as well obviously filling yourself up to, to recover but 
something that, that I'm really passionate about is see if your body's like either one craving something or two um, needs to recover, then listen to it. So is there something that you would say is, oh, do you know what? I wouldn't run any more than X amount per week or how many rest days, et cetera. It's, I mean, this is where I, I always say in coaching that it's, it's the study of one because to your point, you have to listen to your body because there's no other athlete like you. Everything you've done in your life has led you to where you are right now. And when I look at how to coach an athlete and how to optimize an athlete, it's, it is kind of an impossibility to, to have a blanket statement on anything and say, this is what you should do, um, especially from a volume perspective. Like you look at the Kenyans and, and, you know, the elite athletes doing these massive volumes every week. And it's, it's awesome, but it's, you have to realize what they've done in their lives. It's allowed them to get there. You know, they didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to become a runner. And then they start running that kind of volume. It's just that they've been doing it so much that in order to create a progression and, and, and new, new stressors and new adaptations that have taken them to a higher level, they have got to keep bumping things up. And so for the rest of us, you know, we don't have to, the nice thing is, is that we don't have to run that much and we're still going to see a, a performance and a health benefit. Um, so I think, you know, there's sort of a rule out there that's like, don't do more than 10% more per week um than you did the, the previous week and i think that's a really good sort of general thing that people can follow like whatever running you're doing like you got to start somewhere but wherever you are starting you know get out the door a few times a week a couple times a week and then the next week just try to bump that up by 10 percent um and that can be semi-linear for a few weeks at a time and then you want to sort of pull back for i'd say every fourth week pull back and then start again um, from where you left off so, and then over time, I mean, all of this is sort of like over time, we're looking for these bigger gains. And then a year from now, you look back and, and what you're able to do from a volume perspective is much greater. And it's also not, it's not hurting you to do it. Because if I go jump in a hundred, you know, 50 mile or a 200 kilometer week right now, I, it's, it's going to hurt my body because I'm not in that kind of training right now. That being said, I've done a lot of that type of training in my past, so I can ramp up relatively qu quickly to that point, but we, we all still have to ramp up to that. So yeah, the 10% rule, I think, is probably the, one of the most, you know, beneficial to most people. How many runs a week have you been going just now, Kyle? See, see if I'm being honest, um, it's, it's, do you know, when Blue mentioned this earlier, I literally just thought, this is 100% me at the moment, because within lockdown, I, I set myself a goal that I wanted to run under a 20-minute 5K. And for me, that, that was a massive accomplishment. And... Not that I've lost motivation, but I was gunning for that run. Like, I'm not even joking, gunning for it. I, I wanted to like, absolutely smash it. And I wanted to prove to myself and as opposed to the people that maybe followed me on maybe one Instagram, Nike running app, whatever it may be, the kind of social circle that I was, that I was capable of doing it. But then once I achieved that, do you know, almost instantly I thought to myself, I've achieved that now and I don't know what's next. So I don't really have a goal at the moment, but the biggest thing for me was, do you know what, let's see if I can try and get a 5K and a 10K in per week. My question is, though, does it count if your 5K PB is all downhill, Blue? Is it, if it's what? Say that again? <laughs> if the route that you've taken is all downhill. <laughs> no, it doesn't count. <laughs> I, I actually feel, feel victimised. I feel absolutely victimised at the moment. Now, uh, do you know, this is, this is something that, that's really interesting, Blue. See, with regards to motivation for running, one of the biggest things for me was um, like the, the music or the podcast that I listen to when I'm running. Is there something that you listen to or obviously you've got your partner or your kids, whoever you're running with, is there something that you listen to even if you're with them? 
So it's to me, it's this conversation of associative versus dissociative. And, you know, the music and the views, it's all, it's all dissociative. I mean, you're looking, it's, it's external. Um, I got to a place with running where it was like, it's sort of meditative. And so it's all very associative. And, and like what I'm listening to is my breath, um, the, the rhythm of my feet. And then honestly, like the sort of creative process that happens in my mind. When I go for a run, I sort of like, it's like I'm, I'm purging all of the, the, I'm deleting files and, you know, things that like I don't really need. And, and I'm arriving at ideas and concepts and things. And it's, it's just my brain is sort of like free flowing. Um, and I just sort of like get that hour or whatever the distance of the run is, the length of the run to just be with my own self, my mind. Now, that's sometimes, that's a lot of time. That's what I'm going for. At other times, I'm like, son of a, this is a battle. You know? So every, every word in my mind is like, this sucks. I want to stop. I hate this. Why do I run? I'm, I'm, I'm out of shape. I'm fat. You know, I'm a loser. Like, yeah, all that stuff. Like that, that's a part of the sport, like surviving those conversations is really what it is to be a runner at every level. Cause that never leaves. It doesn't matter if you're elite or you're a beginner, like you're going to have a lot of days where you're just having this internal argument with yourself of why the heck you're taking. So that is a big part of it, you know? Um, and, and the music thing, I think I love music. I'm obsessed with music. So music is in my life in all other times. And a lot of times I'll have a song in my head and it will be sort of like on repeat through my entire run. So, but I, I don't actually, I've tried a couple of times to put the headphones on and listen to music. And I just, it's sort of just distracting for me because I didn't, I didn't come into it with that. And I think I've done so much running without it that, that now it's just like, I'm just like an old dog that can't do new tricks. So <laughs> I was really, really hoping that you were going to say that you listened to Kenny, Rom uh, Kenny Rogers, the gambler there, because I went onto your Instagram and I saw yeah. you playing blue that is one of my favorite songs ever and i thought to myself see yes. if he listens to that when he runs <laughs> fist pump love it man um yeah that is that that's one of my favorite songs ever and i was like if he runs to that sort of music i'm gonna have to put that on yeah i tell you i i sing that song to my kids and i have since they were born because you don't really even need a guitar for it right so like at night like that was one of the songs that they've they've always heard since they were born and yeah, I don't know if like I remember because I'm 40, so like I, I think I saw that when it was that show was on TV. That's the first time I heard it. But yeah, same man, I love that song. <laughs> incredible, incredible. So with with um, well, obviously touched on uh, equipment as in running shoes. Is there any other equipment? Because a big thing at the moment is obviously having a GPS watch, maybe um, I don't know, some sort of clothing or anything. Is there any other equipment that you'd say were um, optimal? to to run in a better time yeah i think it's it's really relative to the the environment you're in you know and i think i mean for the cool thing about running is that you don't really need much like we can get rid of the watch we could actually get rid of the shoes if, if we have to right like i was i can't remember his first name but Kale, and i think it was the 1960 olympics was it 60 or 62 won the olympic marathon in rome barefoot like flat out won gold medal insane barefoot you know and four years later he got a shoe sponsor four years later he came back and he ran with shoes he simply just didn't have access to shoes but he had the talent um i think that proves that we don't really need anything to run i mean we can just go out there and we literally need nothing right you're probably going to get arrested if you run naked but i mean if you had to you could so um but i think when you're talking about like ways to make it you know more enjoyable and and for me i think the gear motivates me to get out the door so like when you look good 
you know, like if you look like a superhero, you're going to, you're going to be more likely to want to do it. Right. So when I'm looking at the shoes, when I'm looking at the shorts, the shirt, everything that I put on, like, I, I basically want to look like a superhero, you know? And I, like, that is, it's, it's sounds silly, but it is a big motivator. I mean, I, I, you want to feel good. If you put on some like big basketball shorts and like a, a sloppy, big oversized cotton tee, oh, you're not, you're probably not feeling like you're, you're, you know, your best. <laughs> so, you know, you don't want to be seen. So I think you mentioned like when you go past people running, you're like, you know, your posture improves, like, yeah. you're, like you're looking even better. Right. So I think that is a huge piece of it. And if you look at, the products now they're doing a very good job of answering the needs of the athlete. Like you don't want extra fabric when you're running, you want shorts that get out of your way that have a split on the side, you know, like, and, and they, they come in all different lengths. You could have a four inch inseam, a 10 inch inseam, you know, depending on, on what you prefer, but having that split in the side helps when your knee drives forward, the, sh- the, the short gets out of your way. Um, and then having a shirt that's not too, that doesn't gather too much. It's wicking. So it doesn't gather too much of your sweat and then get heavy and bounce. Um, because what does that lead to? Chafing of your nipples. Nobody, nobody wants bloody oh. nipple. If you haven't had that, good for you, and don't ever get it. Literally in a marathon, I put Vaseline on parts of my body so that that, that chafing stuff doesn't happen. And the and the clothes that you wear, you know, they contribute or not to that happening. So, yeah, it's important. The Nike gear is incredible. It looks so, so good. And I, I suppose that kind of goes off the back of the ego thing you're talking about, Kyle. If you're running in Nike, oh. you know you look <laughs> good. <laughs> totally agree. Do you know, with, I think it's actually the same with any sport, though, because I know that if I'm playing golf and I've just bought a new golf T-shirt, Tiger Woods, red, Sunday, unbelievable. Tell me right now that you're not going to feel like an absolute boss or whether it's wearing your orange and you feel like Ricky Fowler. Do you know what? You do feel absolutely incredible. And what, you're going to make a comment here, uh, David. I can see you about to say some snidey comment. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll refrain. I'll refrain this time from making a snidey comment. <laughs> all, all the all the gear, no idea. Is that what you're going to say? Maybe going through my head. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, the, do you know what the last thing that I wanted to bring up, and it's probably a very, very important thing uh, at the moment, is recovery. So it's all about how you recover from runs in themselves. And I, I have spoken to a few people, like maybe cramping up a little bit during a run, um, or finding the best, most optimal way to recover after a run, whether that be a cold bath, whether it be icing. But joint joint pain as well um, after runs and stuff like that, that. That must be something that's come up all the time, Blue. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I, I think especially like coaching high school, middle school, um, which are like more traditional athletic programs wherever you are in the world. Like these, they're sort of like stuck in their ways. And, and it used to always be a thing, and it still is in a lot of places where it, it, whatever your pain is, you, you wrap ice around it and then just go home, you know, sleep it off. Um, I work with a lot of people now who, who basically say that, you know, ice, while it does have a place, especially in like medical situations, you're basically restricting blood flow. And by restricting blood flow, you're, you're slowing down recovery. So we're basically not icing at all anymore. If, if, it's, if it's for comfort and you like, you know, you, you get in a cold lake or something, like that's one thing. But ice baths, I'm, I'm really not doing that at all anymore. And just letting the body, like if there's aches and pains, like that's, I earned those aches and pains, right? Like as long as it's not a joint pain, that's like, that's, you know, that, like I said before, joint pain shouldn't be happening. If you're experiencing joint pain, you need to fix your mechanics. And I don't care if it's knees, hips, back, 
whatever the joint pain is, there's something mechanically happening that you need to fix and you need to address that. Uh, but anything soft tissue, muscular, um, that what we've been using mostly is, is tools like Hyperice, you know, the, the Hyperice, the massage gun, um, or the, the massaging rollers where you, you roll out and it's got some vibration to it. And that's again, just to sort of, um, release the adhesions and, and, um, you know, a lot of times with running because it's so repetitive in nature, as something gets tight, you develop sort of a, um, you develop a condition that can be degenerative, you know, where there's like the Achilles, for example, if the Achilles, there's really poor blood flow to the Achilles. So once you get that tendonitis, it it can very easily become tendinosis, where it's getting more and more scar tissue buildup and less and less blood flow and less function. So it's getting less, less elasticity. That's a problem. Eventually that Achilles is going to rupture if you don't change something. So by getting a massage on there, doing active release therapy is another great technique that we use. Um, but massage, massage tools, um, mobility exercises. I think we, you know, we talked a little bit about strength training. Strength training is probably the most important thing a runner can do. If you took out stretching completely, I wouldn't care. Um, especially statics. Dynamic stretching, I think, is important for the warm up. But strength training is absolutely imperative for everyone because you're loading the body in different ways. Running is plyometric. And if you can load the muscle and, and the tendons and ligaments, in a non-plyometric fashion and develop a strength in a different way, that's going to keep you from getting injured. And because of the repetitive motion, you know, that this is what's going to be one of those tools that keeps you from getting injured in the long run. There's obviously a difference there though, isn't there? Between, I would, well, I would imagine though, uh, between kind of the type of run that you're going to do, i.e. long distance, short distance, on what kind of strength training that you'll be doing? Uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, it's, if anything, it's, it'd be the volume and the, the amount of that strength training that you're doing relative to the cycle that you're in. So whether you had a marathoner or a miler or a sprinter, for sure, sprinters are all explosive. So they don't really need, they don't need an aerobic capacity. They just need to be explosive for a short amount of time. But besides sprinters, everything from the, the 1500 all the way up to the marathon, um, there's going to be periods where there's a lot of heavy explosive strength training. And I'm talking like heavy deadlifts you know, a a lot of the Olympic lifts, power cleans, like, you know, clean and press, like a lot of stuff that you might not expect for a a runner to do that it's absolutely appropriate. And then as we go through, let's say a training season of six months and and maybe a marathon is the final goal, we would taper down the amount of that training that we're doing as we get closer to the race. Yeah, perfect. Um, I think everything that you've you've touched on so far, Blue, has been really, really um, beneficial for not only myself and Kyle, but for the the listeners today. But something we're actually trying to implement in kind of not all of our podcasts, but especially when we've got kind of guests like yourself that are such experts in their areas, would be what tips would you give for beginners? What top tips? Sorry, I'll rephrase it. What top tips would you give that if Joe Bloggs is saying, do you know what? I want to start running. What, what, yeah. what tips would you give him? I would say, first of all, is consistency. That's the number one thing you want to do with anything. Like, you, you gotta, you got to come up with a, a reason that you're going to get out the door every day. And, that, and I know Kyle mentioned this. Like, he had a goal going in to, like, run a sub 25K, and that, for some reason, became harder. I, I was really marathon fit before we went into this lockdown, and – and I've, I've lost some of my motivation. So I have to find new reasons to get out the door. So I think you have to find the reason and then get, and, and make that commitment to yourself first. But then the first thing you're trying to, trying to get is consistency. Without the consistency, you're not going to get any of the gains that are going to make it 
make it more, make, make it easier, but then ultimately become a habit because you've got to create a new habit, right? This, it's got to become a consistent part of your life. And then the next thing after that is variety. So if you're just doing the same thing, you're going to plateau really quickly. But with running, we, we can run faster. We can run intervals. We can run longer, shorter. So there's so many different ways that we can mix it up. So you want to have a, a, the, you want to have a great contrast in the way that you're, you know, the way that you're running. Um, that's number two. And then I think it's, I've always believed that we're all teachers and that we're all students and wisdom is knowing which side to be on in every moment. And I think the cool thing about that is like, you never know who's going to teach you something really cool, you know? And I think just being open to all of the world around you is, is, is a, is a really important thing. Right. So I think, um, read books, listen to the podcast, you know, I mean, if anyone's listening right now, they're already doing that, right. They're already like, looking for the motivation and, and the information. So, um, they're already on that, that right that right um road so if, if we can create a platform for one person to take away one little nugget from this and impact their life do you, do you know what genuinely i'd be absolutely over the moon and i know from this podcast alone a lot of people will take um, a lot away from it i have one question i want to finish on because i think it, it genuinely um will fit into a lot of our demographic who are probably having this fight at the moment so at the moment um obviously we're doing a lot of running and stuff like that but finding the balance so i actually was reading on your on your website the run with the lab and um, you can tell us a bit about that as well once we, we're going to um where to find you but um, it was finding the balance between running and strength training is there a specific answer for that or is it just is there any sort of algorithm or anything yeah i mean we're it, again this kind of goes to the study of one type of thing where you know there's no there's no perfect way to do it, but we tend to look at it at things from a weekly perspective from the smallest cycle that we work in is the week, the micro cycle. Um, and within that week, I'm looking to front load the week with the, the heavier load training from strength and volume perspective. So the most amount of strength training and the, the heaviest um, weights of strength training is going to happen early in the week because the needs from a running perspective are lower at that time. As the week progresses, the heavier running workouts, like the longer tempos, the heavier intervals, and then the long run are backloaded in the week, I'm going to taper off that strength training for the athletes. So their energy needs are, are able to be met in the running, and there's less expectation from the strength later in the week. And that's pretty much every week. So I think, again, within that structure, it, it varies from every athlete, but I'm always starting from that point. Front load the week with the heavier strength, taper it off, and then taper up the amount of the amount and intensity of the running through the week. Love that. That's going to be a massive takeaway from me alone because I, up until now I wasn't doing a lot of running, but I knew then whether like the, the gyms go back or whether I just start resistance training a wee bit more. It's all about what I'm actually going to do to find that balance there. So do you know what that takeaway alone um, is absolutely huge. Um, but blue. Um, thank you so much for for joining us today we have absolutely loved having you on i know for a fact that people are going to take uh, loads away and implement it as well and um, where can we find you whether it be instagram or talk tell us a bit about your website etc yeah so um you can run with me on the nike running app on the audio guided run function i have about 10 different audio guided runs from speed runs to long runs there's some treadmill runs on there some hill repeats there's all different kinds of stuff um those are fun because there's just to give you a little insight, there's about 20,000 words in those scripts that we write for, for those runs. And, you know, it's, we really try to get in the headspace of what it's like to be out there running. And I think, you know, it's a really enjoyable way to, to go through a run. So, yeah, you can find me there. Um, I, 
coach run with the lab. It's one of the companies I found to coach athletes around the world. Uh, people who are looking for like a little bit, a little bit more comprehensive experience in the coaching world. Uh, we do now provide training programs that are a bit bold, I guess you could say. Um, they're pretty intense. Um, but also we do one-on-one coaching. Uh, we train people from Australia to actually the UK to all over the world. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's on Instagram, of course, you know, social media. It's, it's my love and hate. Uh, blue underscore Benedum. That's my Instagram handle. And I'm always trying to pepper that with a little bit of lifestyle and, and you know, running and family. So, yeah. Love it. Love Thanks. it. Well, well, it goes without saying. Um, we obviously um, wish you the best for all your future running. Um, I hope you're, you, yourself and your family stay safe over this tough time as well. Um, but, yeah, absolute pleasure having you on, Blue. Thank you guys so much. Great meeting you. Um, so it goes without saying, as we leave every podcast, uh, for every person that leaves a review, you will get a free coaching call with myself to discuss anything to do with fitness and nutrition. Um, follow us on Instagram at healthinthehustle.podcast, but also subscribe, um, whether that be on Spotify, whether it be on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, and it means you'll get the latest updates for when we release um, each podcast. And as we release, uh, as we leave every single podcast, um, invest in yourself. Thank you guys.